Hi, everyone. Welcome to Donor Conception Conversations. This is a one podcast created exclusively for those who have used or will be using donor conception to build their family. I'm your host, Lisa Schumann. As a researcher, therapist, and an expert on donor conception, I'm passionate about helping people on their donor conception journey. After decades of work in this field, working on site at some of the world's best fertility clinics, and through my group, the Center for Family Building, I've run workshops for donor-conceived children, and I've met thousands of donors and recipients. In this podcast, my guests and I will share the tools and the truths you need to have a better path to parenthood or help you tackle tough parenting issues. If it's about donor conception, we're going to talk about it. And today, I welcome Elena Frank. She's the chief executive officer and founder of the Jewish Fertility Foundation. As you will hear, that by having the advantage of beginning her journey where she could pursue fertility treatment at no cost, it awakened her to the ways people struggle financially to pay for treatment. And it was the impetus for getting her wonderful foundation. So thank you for coming, Alana. Really appreciate your time and for being here and sharing your knowledge and um, your experience. Could you tell the audience a little bit about your story? Surely. Thank you for having me. We've been following each other for a while, and I really appreciate being on today. So yeah, it's personal. Um, I am a mom of three boys, and it was a hard journey to, to get them and have them. And yeah, I'll tell you a little bit about how for the past, I guess, I've been married almost 14 years now. And right when we got married, we were really lucky that we got to move to Israel. And we thought we were going to go ahead and build our family easily there because that's what a young married couple does is, you know, you you make babies, you have sex to make babies. And mm. it just didn't go as planned for us. So we started our journey um, in Israel in a country kind of foreign to us in terms of their medical system. And after only three months of trying, we had already been married over a year. So after three months of really, really trying to have a baby, I felt like something was wrong. I really did. Like I, mm. I'm i a person who works hard at things and usually gets them. And this was not working for me. So I went to the doctor. I was in, I think I was 29 years old at the time. Uh, and they didn't ask me how long we've been trying. They asked me how long we had been married. So it was already over a year and they quickly put me on Clomid. And I was going to get pregnant and have, you know, millions of babies month after month. It wasn't working. Um, Things were already kind of getting challenging in my marriage. We were not communicating well. My husband didn't know how to help me. I just wanted a baby. I was not talking about this to anybody. I was in a new foreign country. My family was back in America. My friends were getting married and having babies and it wasn't working. Finally, after probably six or seven months, I confided in my aunt in Israel who works in the medical system. And she said, do you know how to have sex? Maybe I don't. Do you you need to go take a vacation and relax? Maybe you're just too anxious. And, you know, when somebody says that to you, you're, for me at least, I was like, oh my God, maybe something is like I'm doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. But she did give me the name of a doctor who ultimately accepted us in his private practice which is not too uncommon, but we were going, driving an hour in the evenings at night in the dark. And he was doing IUIs in the basement of his house. And we were writing checks in a country that is, you know, it's free. 
socialized medicine. But we were doing IUIs, the turkey baster method, for months. And he never checked my body. Um, the whole thing was just bizarre and weird, but we weren't talking about it. And, you know, even like 14-ish years, years ago, there wasn't much on the internet and I didn't even know where to turn. So after months of doing IUIs, my, we were like, this is weird. Let's get another opinion. And now we're about a year and a half into our journey and we finally get another doctor opinion. And the, for the first time, somebody checked my body and my tubes are blocked. Like I actually have a diagnosis. Luckily, uh, and God forbid I got pregnant from an IUI. It could have been an ectopic pregnancy. I mean, a million things could have yeah, been wrong. Yeah, sure. And, you know, we were paying money for something, a procedure that was never going to work for somebody who has their tubes blocked. Ultimately, I was able to move forward with IVF and we retrieved a ton of eggs, which turned into a ton of embryos. And my first shot, it worked. I now have an almost uh, 12-year-old from that process. Uh, a year later, we tried again. We didn't know how long it was going to take. And I now have a nine-year-old from that process. And we came back to America. It was the first time I started talking about what I went through. And it was fairly like, I don't want to say easy, but it worked. Like I right. went through some stuff to get there, but ultimately it worked. And I didn't have to pay anything for these two amazing kids. So I came back to America and I was in a baby pool with a bunch of other moms, people who I knew um, from when I had lived in America. We got on the topic of infertility and they were all talking about how expensive their babies were and how much they paid for, you know, so using a surrogate. And I was like, oh gosh, my kids were free. But we started talking about how hard it was and their roller coaster of emotions that comes along with infertility. And I truly didn't realize how much it cost in America. And um, I was still like going through my own journey. I knew I had more to offer. I was um, going back and forth and leaving my babies at home to use up all my extra embryos and nothing was working. It was a very stressful period. And um, my husband and I did not want to go through another egg retrieval for various reasons, including expense, including new fertility situations between my husband and I. And we were like, okay, we're going to adopt. And we tried to adopt. We tried to adopt through the foster care system. And it just wasn't working. Like we were not, we were not doing well at this adoption. And ultimately through the work that I do at Jewish Fertility Foundation, I was able to connect with an amazing human who is a single mom by choice. And she was trying to donate her extra embryos. And I wasn't thinking about myself at this point, but I was helping her try to find a family who needed them. I was adopting. And after about a year of not being able to help her, I was like, what about me? Like, could I do this? And um, my husband just cared. He's like, well, how much is it going to cost us? Like, that was his mindset. How much is it going to mm -hmm. cost us? How long is it going to take? Because at this point, there's already a five-year gap or like a four-and-a-half-year gap between my youngest and this new potential child. And it was stressful on our marriage. It was stressful for me emotionally, physically. There were so many ups and downs. And one day I just picked up the phone and called her and I said, I know I've been trying to help you find a family for these two remaining embryos, but what would you think if it was me? And she was like, done. And not that it was easy. Fantastic. It took a year, but um, ultimately I received those embryos and I now have an almost four-year-old from that process. 
It's amazing. What an amazing story. That's amazing. Unbelievable. So just to kind of backtrack a little bit, because I know, um, you know, there's a lot of things that your organization does, but I think because we're talking about donor conception here, um, a lot of people are going to be curious about things that maybe crossed your mind, particularly as a Jewish woman. It's, you know, there's a lot of kind of complications around who does the baby really belong to? And obviously, you know, kind of technically, if you deliver the baby, it's it's connected to you, but maybe, maybe not, depending upon who you ask sometimes. And so what sort of struggles did you have with um, whether or not you felt like this child is going to be genetically connected to you or not? What feelings did you have about maybe family and friends and their opinions about you know, if you're going to have a child who's not genetically connected to you, were you worried about how that child would be received? What sorts of thoughts were going through your mind as you, you know, I, I'm, I understand you kind of decided, okay, we're going to adopt, which by itself is certainly not simple either, but it does necessitate, you know, kind of being much more open. And here, there's so many more questions with donor conception, right? Because you can carry and you can not tell people if you want to right away. So, um, so what went through your head? How did you feel about it? How did you reconcile it? So, um, I think that the fact that we had been educated through the foster care system, like when you're trying to adopt through foster care, there is a lot of work that you have to have to like a lot of research, a lot of education. And we had spent a year, my husband and I, being trained to be able to be foster parents who were ultimately hoping to adopt. And what we learned through that process um, was what we both personally were interested in from the experience of adoption. And I learned I really just wanted a baby, a baby that I could make into my own. And what I learned from about my husband is that he wanted to help a child who needed us. And he was willing to adopt older children. And that was a huge disconnect between us. And that was one piece of it. And ultimately, we also learned through the process um, what is best for the child as it relates to like all the things that you teach parents or intended parents, like being open about the process and trying as much as you can to have a relationship with the, the birth parents or the donors in that case. So we were already understanding together, like, well, what is it that we want out of our family building experience? And also like, well, what if we do get a child, like we know the best practices, we know what's best for the child. And that is having an open, honest relationship and trying to be as much in touch with the birth parents as possible. So once we shifted our mindset and said, okay, all I wanted was a baby. I learned that about myself through the process. Like I didn't want to adopt an older kid. So like I knew that it was going to be hard through adoption, but it was an option through embryo donation. I also felt like I didn't have to be pregnant again. I just wanted that baby, but I was able to kind of like rectify all those things. So I think the 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 easy it was very easy for us because we knew that um, when it came to like birth parents or donors, we knew as a family we wanted to be as open as possible. Um, it was not a secret. It was not like for our immediate family. 
And um, once we met the donor, who's very private, like I'm an open book right now. My husband is way more um, of an introvert, like the donor. So they're very similar. We knew that they were going to be a part of our life to some capacity. And like when you're going through that whole process, you're starting to bring in, like once we made the decision, okay, we're going to try this route using a donor, donor embryos, like it wasn't like all of a sudden we said yes and like they gave me the embryos. It was a year of more extended education, more therapy to make sure that like we were all on the same page with this for our family. There was a lot of um, communication between us and the donor. So like, I don't know how it works in then like an anonymous situation, but that part of it already opened the doors for so much. Like, are you feeling good with this? Are you okay with this? Like communication between the the different families. I don't know if that answered your question. Those were the things we were thinking about in the non-Jewish arena, like communication, what would it look like internally? And then I guess starting to think about externally when like our families were going to get involved and our parents and all of that. But just trying to think about like how we talk about it was the very first step. That was a long-winded way to say like communication was key for us. Right. And so we know kind of, you know, about openness and how important it is, particularly for the child. But I guess specifically in the Jewish community, there are kind of rules about how you're you're Jewish, how you're connected to your parents, all of those things. And so while intellectually, you know, what's kind of the right way to do things and how you're supposed to do it. I meet a lot of people who have this inner conflict about you know, is grandma going to have trouble with this? Or is my community going to have trouble with this? Or how do I kind of reconcile this in my mind? And, you know, one rabbi says one thing, one rabbi says another, how do I kind of figure out what's right? Or if I'm in a very religious community, what's going to happen there? As you go through pregnancy, right? You're you're not just bringing a new baby home when you adopt, it's kind of out there. When you go through pregnancy, you have to kind of decide, am I going to tell the world in my community? Am I not? Am I going to tell my close friends? Am I not? Because it is a close community. It's not like being in the middle of New York City where you're kind of anonymous as a person, right? You go to the school play and those people are completely different than your soccer practice, right? You're not, you don't really have to be accountable to anybody, but when you're in the small community and you're, you belong to a synagogue or you're, you know, part of a group of people who are seeing you, you have to kind of figure out how am I going to reconcile that inside myself? And I think for a lot of our Jewish listeners, it's probably something that they think about. So we thought about it, like, let's start first with my parents. My father's Israeli. My mom is like the most compassionate, open-minded person who saw me suffering for so many years and just wanted me to be happy. So when we were trying to adopt, it was a harder conversation than using donor embryos. So adoption, you bring in race and religion and those kind of things were tricky for my family, being in such a Jewish community. and Yeah. We, my husband and I knew we felt comfortable bringing in any color child, uh, whether they were black or brown, like we didn't care. We wanted to have a baby and bring them into our family. I think it was a conversation with my parents about like just wrapping their head around what that would look like in an American society 
And like, that was a huge barrier, like for our relationships. So by the time we started talking to them about like, we have this opportunity to like carry a child, but it won't be biologically related to us. Like it was very confusing. And I, we had to repeat it over and over. And my dad's like, my Israeli father's like, well, what color is the kid going to be? Like, he was so confused that it could be like a Jewish, like he didn't understand that that could even be part of the conversation. So we would be like, we would explain to them, oh, actually for us, it's really important to follow the guidelines of what we think um, we need to do. So for us, we were, we were told we need a Jewish egg and non-Jewish sperm. Uh-huh. And so that was the same thing that our donor understood. So religiously, we were on the same level, and it was both important for us to make sure that that was the case. Because keep in mind, she's a single mom by choice. So she chose donor sperm that was non-Jewish based on what her uh, understanding of the law was or what she was guided toward. So different rabbis offer different suggestions. That was what was comfortable for us in the more traditional approach. So for me, that was like already available. Wow, that's amazing. That was one of the reasons that we considered this option um, because already it checked a lot of the boxes. I see. Where we came into conflict was once I was already uh, pregnant and I'm also, I like checking boxes. So I was like, okay, well, are we going to have to convert the baby? Like, is that even Mm -hmm. a thing? And I reached out and keep in mind, this is also new. And, and also I'm talking about it, right? So like if there's so the majority of the donor embryo stories that I had heard, it's like it was all anonymous, but ours wasn't anonymous. We knew the lineage of the egg. So I was like, do we still have to consider like dunking the baby in the mikvah to make sure that they're actually Jewish? Like you hear about from many of the surrogacy or gestational carriers who right. are not Jewish, you got to dump the baby, right? So I was like, where do we fall in? Because it's not like I can like go online and find out this information or easily talk to my rabbi because my rabbi, this is new. We were the first people in our congregation who like did this. And so I reached out. I remember I was like nine months pregnant at this time. And I was like, do I need to dunk the baby? And I didn't even talk to my husband or the donor about this. I was just like, you know, checking the box, figuring things out as a new hopeful mom. and. The Yoetzat Halacha, which is the, like woman at the, the mm-hmm. female assistant to the rabbi. Yep. So she came back and she's like, well, actually, there are three opinions. Two of them say you don't have to convert the baby because I'm 100% Jewish and the baby is coming out of me. But one opinion says, go ahead, dunk the baby so that there's no problems. And I didn't have a problem with it. I wanted to give my child any opportunity that they needed to, like, no questions asked. This kid is Jewish. And I mentioned it to the donor who I'm like talking to pretty frequently at this point and to my husband. And they both are like, hell no, like, no, 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 no. We are not dunking this baby. And it was like, what are you talking about? And they're like, she's like, I'm Jewish. My egg is Jewish. You're Jewish. There are no questions. And ultimately I got my rabbi involved and he's like, let me see that proof that she is Jewish from her rabbi. And then you're good. But it came up again, the Moel, as he was giving my son a bris, 
And I gave the speech talking about how thankful I am for my child and for this donation oh, shared in his nice. speech. He's like, I saw the rabbi look at the Moel and be like, oh my God, what's going on? Do I, do I know? Do I have permission? And there, everybody's like, it's okay. But this is all so new that like in reality, questions are popping up and not everybody has access to the traditional laws and information because it's not like you were doing this in biblical times. Yeah. And it's difficult, right? I mean, my children were all, I took all three of my children to the mikvah and it was, you know, kind of a scene out of like a Woody Allen movie. You know, there's, you know, this old, older Jewish uh, Russian woman with this heavy accent, like, you know, you have to let go of the baby. She's you know, like yelling at my husband because he just dugs the baby like very quickly and doesn't like let go of her. So, you know, the whole thing was comical, but you know, there's so many things to consider. Even when my son had his bris, there is a question about like, so do you convert them before? Or do you convert them after? And I mean, you just need to kind of learn all of these things. And I think when you have a culture that's, uh, that's kind of feels related and you're, you're going through this process, it can feel very isolating. You can feel very lonely and concerned and anxious. And, you know, using a donor to begin with, is a tough decision for a lot of people. And then on top of it, you have to kind of consider all of these things. And I think it is difficult for a lot of people. So I think a lot of people will, you know, feel inspired by what you're saying, Alana. And what, you, what you're saying also is because you considered adoption before, you know, the ice was broken, right? Yeah. Everybody kind of was on board and they were, you know, you kind of got them ready so it wasn't as much of an issue. My grandmother, actually, my 86-year-old, 87-year-old grandmother who uses Facebook is super hip. Like, it's so hard for that generation to get it. And like, I think with language and with like, wait a second, is that is that your husband's sperm? Like, it was so confusing because you can understand donor sperm and donor egg. I think that that's like a little bit more common now. But to have a donor embryo and it not be biologically related to either one of us and like language and terms. It's confusing to, you know, to it's my, so to my grandmother. Even nowadays, she's always like, how's his mother? And I'm like, I'm his mother. You know, like even language like that is really interesting. And, you know, I have to put a thick skin on like I'm his mom. He has biological siblings and, you know, donors. But um, I think I'm still a little sensitive to that language. Yeah, it is hard when you're confronting, and I think people from lots of cultures will feel that way. I talk a little bit um, in my book about my kids going to nursery school, and there was this, you know, woman who was an immigrant from India, and she really loved my daughter. She thought she was great, but she just assumed that because she was my daughter through adoption, there was no way that I was going to ever understand her. So even at parent-teacher conferences, she would say, well, you can't really like be part of this because, you know, she's not really your child. So you don't really understand like what she needs. And she really believed it. Right. Yeah. And so it's, you know, it's very hard because when you have a different generation of people from many cultures, you often can get kind of stuck in this situation where there's this, you know, very, very tight thinking about what belongs and what doesn't belong and, you know, who can you be connected to and who you're not connected to. And people, you know, uh, you know, I think in the Jewish culture, it's even more confusing because you ask three different rabbis, you get three different answers, right? It's very hard to, to make peace with that. But I think it's important for our audience to know 
that they're not alone. And I'm sure you get a lot of these questions, Alana, and you probably feel a lot of these questions and reassure a lot of people who are going through this. Yeah. And I think it's really helpful. Like we, I've learned like we have to do what's best for us with our Jewish beliefs, but there are so many varying beliefs and opinions. And what we're really good at at Jewish Fertility Foundation is finding the rabbi who can guide you. Like I'm not giving anybody advice. I can share my own personal stuff, but there are experts out there who are really um, now today learning how this applies to Jewish tradition. I have to say, I give a shout out. So I also have a podcast. And yesterday I brought on a woman who was like a powerhouse. She um, got really pissed that when she used a surrogate for her child, she had to convert her baby. It was her egg, right? But but our tradition tells us like, if you use a surrogate, you got to dunk the baby. And so what she did over the past like four years is changed the Jewish law within the conservative movement. They just passed a new ruling. Crazy, right? They just passed a new ruling through her guidance and her hard work and determination that there is an alternative now for conservative rabbis to make a decision to dunk or not to dunk. So that's a big deal. And I'll share wow. information you should have her on. She, yeah. I, I'm like super duper impressed that she fought and won for what she believed was best for her family. That's amazing. Wow. Incredible. Well, yeah, things are changing. I mean, I am seeing, you know, many more gay uh, Jewish couples who are even, you know, modern Orthodox who are able to use a surrogate and have a child and even have a Jewish wedding. And um, it's great because it's so important that, you know, even though as you're talking about, you know, you know, your grandmother and people in other generations not really getting it as we move forward, that we start to accept that we have to, you know, be inclusive, even though our tradition may not have originally said so. How do you feel that your community, your family, people around you, um, do you feel like everybody kind of sees all the children the same? Because I think that's also something that people worry about. I think a thousand percent. I mean, I live in a modern Orthodox community that is so supportive of me, my family, our family building story. I mean, my rabbi and the community give me the platform to talk about it often and loudly and share, you know, the struggles of just infertility in general and then how my son was born. And my son goes to a more observant preschool. And I'm always very like open and he's open about, you know, the things that he can talk about. And I think it gives hope to the teachers. And there are so many options today. And just like advocating for your own family building process when you see other people doing it and talking about it and not being shy or feeling like something's wrong with you, I think it gives hope to other people because there's so much you can do if you are um, not able to conceive naturally. So do you feel that kind of in your community, it's people are starting because I think people will feel maybe even surprised, but certainly appreciate the fact that in your community, people are open to talking about this and open to donor conception. So um, you, you're feeling like in your community, there's lots of people who support it. So if there are you know young members of your community, if they were searching 
for a donor, if they're considering using a donor, that you feel that they would be supported and that all the children would be really treated the same. Yes, but I have to say it's still very private. Like it's, I'm the only loud mouth. I know that there are other people who have used donor sperm, egg, whatever. Um, They're not shouting it out in the way that I do. So I think that that um, is normal. Like I don't, I don't expect everybody to be as open as we, you know, are, Mm -hmm. but there is still very much a secrecy and like a little bit of a shame factor um, that I definitely see within our community, whether it's the Orthodox community or not. I think it's just in general. It's not that people are, you know, shouting out and sharing their, their stories. Also, keep in mind, and I'm learning about the difference between like secrecy and privacy and privacy, yeah. right? So like I learn a lot about that. It's not really, I, I share a lot more probably than I should just because I'm, you know, I run a nonprofit related to this topic. Mm-hmm. But um, I do think that there is definitely some shame still associated within the Jewish community as a whole when you're using donor, don't you know, donor anything. Um, which I would love to break break that without having to expose, you know, children's stories, which are, which are their own stories. So I don't know how to I don't know how to do that. Maybe just me talking about it more is. Is helpful. Well, you know, Alana, that's really why, you know, you're here today is to help us with that because I can tell you, you know, I've seen thousands and thousands of families who have gone through this. And I see, you know, a good amount of people within the Jewish community. And I rarely see someone use donor eggs that are from an egg bank, let's say, or from um, a clinic. Usually I see people who have a known donation, maybe they have a young niece or cousin in Israel or someplace else, and they want to have a known donation, and then people don't really talk about it. And then there's this, you know, secrecy involved, and no one feels good about that. Um, They're all, they all understand the consequences of it. And they all understand potentially what they're getting into, and they're willing to share it with the child, which obviously is the most important thing. But it, within their own community, they feel very, very anxious about it, and it does feel very mm-hmm. shameful to them. And they can't like extract themselves from that shame. It doesn't feel like privacy to them. It feels like um, secrecy. It feels like shame. And so, for many of them, um, you know, I I leave the sessions very often wishing that they had a different experience where they could feel just joyful and enjoy their lives without kind of always worrying what people are thinking and how people are going to feel about them or about their child. So I think it's refreshing for people to hear that you've had a different experience, that there are communities that are very open and accepting, and that it sounds like it is also moving, you know, in general, it's moving in the right direction. I think so. And I also wonder, you know, how having two biological kids first impacted all of this um, and the way that I feel, you know, about talking about it. I wonder how I would feel if I had to use a donor embryo first. I don't know. Oh, what's your thought about that? I mean, I think that I have my own genetic connection already. And I don't know how important it would have been to me personally, but I, when, when I'm working with clients of ours, you know, letting go of that genetic connection is really, really yes. hard. So I didn't have to deal with all that because I have two kids who, who look like me and the third is just a bonus, you know? So I, I don't, I don't know if that plays a role in. Yeah. 
Well, I think that's the first part for everybody, right, is to get get to a place where you can have a child that's not genetically connected to you. But then after, and that's mm-hmm. hard enough, but then after that, having to deal with your grandmother and the community and all of that, I right. think is another layer of struggle. So, um, you know, it sounds like that piece is something that's a little bit easier for you. And that's great. And I think very hopeful for the people who are listening to know that there's a place to go. So, um, so Alana, maybe speaking of which you can share, um, some information about your podcast. You said you have a podcast also and, um, and where people can find you and your social media information, because I'm sure people will want to reach out and ask you lots of questions. Sure. So I run an organization called Jewish Fertility Foundation. We offer financial assistance, fertility grants. We offer emotional support and educational training. And so we are hyper-focused on the six current communities that we're serving, um, but we are scaling nationally. So you can check out Jewish Fertility Foundation. That is all of our handles, social media and website, to see which locations we're in currently. Um, Some of the bigger cities near you are greater D.C. area, Maryland, Virginia, Atlanta, Florida, and hopefully Denver very soon. And I have a podcast also called Fruitful and Multiplying. So uh, you can find it on any of, uh, you know, where you find your podcast today. Right. Fantastic. And then what about communicating with you? Um, Can they go on your website or do you suggest that people find you on social media? Sure. I'll just, my email is Elana, E-L-A-N-A at jewishfertilityfoundation.org. So one of my favorite things to do, and often people reach out through other people's podcasts or social media, is I love matching up people who have extra embryos with people who need Fantastic. Them. So generally I do for the Jewish community. Sometimes we get some Jewish eggs in there, but it's a real opportunity to do such an amazing thing for a family like me. Absolutely. Oh, that's fantastic. And so good to know. That's wonderful. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you so much for coming. I just had my fifth baby on Friday um, from Embryo Donation Network. Not you. Not you had your fifth baby. You, get, you helped. Not me, but from <laughs> right. the matching process. That, right. Yes. Great. That's fantastic. Yes. Oh, how exciting. That's wonderful. Very nice. It's wonderful. Thank You're you. doing a wonderful thing, Alana. I really appreciate all your help and your advice that you've given. And, um, you know, I hope, you know, we can um, do this again. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Have a great day. Bye, everyone.